Greetings, everybody. I'm Scott McKay, your co-host for the Spectacle Podcast, which is what this is. Um, I am joined. You know who I am if you've watched this thing. I'm the publisher of Reviver.com and TheHayRide.com. I'm the contributing editor at The American Spectator, and I'm the author of a brand new book. The pre-sale uh, orders have been shipped this week. And the name of the book is uh, Racism, Revenge, and Ruin, It's All Obama, uh, which we're going to probably talk a little bit more about it in next week's podcast. And I'll be doing that with my co-host, Melissa McKenzie, the publisher of The American Spectator. How are you, Melissa? I'm good. I can't wait. Are you going to send me one of those books? Yes, I am going to send okay, you Okay, so one. I can read it ahead of time, so... Yeah. Uh, in fact, what I will do is I will send you the electronic copy if you'd like to get started reading it. All right. That's good. I mean, I actually, we had uh, Thursday, I think, uh, was like the absolute last day of production on the book. Like we went, the, did the, the last final run through to catch whatever typos or, you know, mm -hmm. formatting errors there were. And so, like, I read through the whole book. And this thing has been a, like, you know, just a chore to get done because you know the subject matter is super super important very very like mm -hmm. super topical based on the fact that nobody actually thinks joe biden runs the country um but it wasn't fun to write because you had to relive all this awful crap um i think it's important to re to i think it's important to relive it though yeah because, it is. because it of is. what we're facing now because we literally are living in obama's world yeah, no, and, and that's, I mean, the book is really all about that. But anyway, going through it and doing all of the last, you know, checking the, the you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I read through the whole book and I'm like, wow, <laughs> like this is really good. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, I've written several books at this point and this is the one I think that maybe gave me the best feeling like when it was done. Mm -hmm. You know, not just because it was actually done because <laughs> right, <laughs> that's right. a really good feeling it's like i've been at this for a very long time but you know like it's it's a um it, the book is very good and so i'm like super excited about it and it's I, I really good it and needed i mean the thing is is that i feel like we need to as painful as it is revisit all of obama's um desired outcomes and note how many he has successfully achieved yeah well and like yeah and I, i'd say this in in some of the you know promotional stuff about the book is this is not a history book like it's yeah it goes through all the stuff in obama's you know eight years in office okay and like the prequel to that which was his kind of upbringing and and you know, his career in Illinois before he got elected president. The thing, none of that is past tense. Right. Okay. It's all, it's prelude to what's going on right now. Um, because like everything that you see the Biden administration doing, none of it's new. It's all stuff that happened maybe while you weren't paying attention when Obama was president. Mm -hmm. And like, nothing was done to stop it then and now it's come back with a vengeance and it's like oh my god the country's not even the same thing it's like i know and you know things that happened between 2008 and 2016 um you know set the precedent for this yeah and, and it wasn't effectively countered and so now it's like totally in your face um so it's not it's not a history book it's point um and uh like you know, uh, a couple of people that actually, you know, I gave it to them as beta readers. They're like, this is, this ought to be a textbook in high schools. Like that, you know, like this absolutely should, you know, should be taught. And I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> well, so. the thing is, is that like, I, I'm just thinking about what's happening in Israel right now and how uh, Iran um, funding and working with Hamas yeah. and how Biden restored funding to the Palestinians. Right. Is swinging deals and, and Obama gave money to the Iranians. And so here we have the left of America funding terrorists and shamelessly doing so. And mm -hmm. being uh, the Democrats hate Israel. And um, now they're having to backtrack, they're deleting, t you know, tweets and stuff like yeah. that because of all their um, not so hidden anti-Semitism. 
And, right. and so here we have this situation happening and we have the weakness of Biden, you know, and the Afghanistan withdrawal and then the Ukraine invasion, which would not have happened with uh, a Trump in office because there would have been severe consequences and Putin knew it. And so we have the world's tyrants basically coming to the fore and yeah. we have, but well, the wait, don't, Melissa, don't, don't forget that we now know that there was an Iranian and is an Iranian spy ring inside the Biden administration. Right. Okay. And now here's, of course there, oh, you know, here's was it a spy real. ring or was or were, was he just let in? I mean, my thing is, is that the, this this administration is so hostile to what we have traditionally as Americans viewed as the forces for good. And um, and so openly um, for reasons I can't fathom, like, you know, it, it's just uh hatred for freedom and the west i i don't know we have an article coming y'all that you need to um read and it's about that we've had two uh the writers o'shea is his name and he's talking about what's happening in poland and once again the lefty democrats in the united states are misportraying what's happening in a bastion of freedom in a loyal ally of America and trying to portray Poland as this uh, brutal dictatorship. It is a lie. And so they'll sit there and they'll tell, say that like Iran is a, um, I, I don't even know what the reasoning is. This was my problem with Obama. And maybe you can illuminate this, Scott. I don't know what the reasoning is to give any deference at all to Iran. Do you? I mean Valerie Jarrett. I mean Valerie Jarrett. Did that. She I mean, grew up in Iran. I mean, you know, that was her um uh what was the guy's name? Was it what, the Robert Walker, I think was her father. Mm-hmm. Uh I can't remember what the guy's actual name is. But you know, he was a communist and he got run out of the United States and so he moved to Iran. And Valerie Jarrett was, you know, his daughter, um, who, you know, grew up there prior to the Mullahs, but she's still, she's, a, you know, a big Iran um, mm-hmm. uh, aficionado. And, you know, she was in Obama's ear. And this is why we did, you know, do the Iran deal when it was patently obvious it wasn't in our interest. Right. Um, it didn't matter. We're going to do it because between Valerie Jarrett and Samantha Power, who, you know, thinks that everything about America is terrible when it comes right. to foreign policy. And so whatever we were doing, uh, you know, we were hostile to Iran. So obviously that was wrong. And so we had to totally reverse right. course and go break bread with these people, mm-hmm. you know, and every, every time we give them money, which they couldn't stop giving the Iranians money, every right. time, you know, we gave them money, they gave it to Hamas and Hezbollah and they started, a, you know, hostilities with with israel i mean this happens every time iran gets money shortly thereafter something happens and the israelis get sucked into war again Mm -hmm. i mean you can match up the timeline it's you can match it up almost as perfectly as you can match up joe biden's bribes and the Mm -hmm. actions that he takes that are you know that are that are um uh in service to those bribes but i mean you know, this happens all the time. And here's Biden. And it's, you know, oh, we're going to free up $6 billion. And then a month later, or less than a month later, you get this, you know, which is the biggest, you know, Israel Hamas war, probably of all of them. Right? Well, and the thing is, is it going to be limited? This is one of the things that concerns me. In the past, be. when you when got to let the Israelis do what they got to do. Well, you know, let them. I mean, the thing is, is that Israel um, is in a different position. First off, it's divided within. But out externally, the Muslim nations have gotten stronger. Not just Iran, but like all the Arab uh, Muslim nations, you know, Saudi Arabia and all the rest of them. And in some way, perverse way, I think this war um makes the democrats happy because it scuttles the peace agreements between 
you know, the Abraham Accords just happened. Uh, the, there's been more comedy between the um, Palestinians and, and the Jews, actually. And then this all happens and it scuttles everything. It reorients everything and um, makes it uh, difficult for peace. And it's like, you know, the, the old arguments, which I thought were facile and that that we have the military um, complex that just wants war. I'm actually coming to believe. <laughs> I'm it is it, for a long time. Yeah, well, and then we look at Ukraine and what's happening there. And have you heard? And now I this is just a rumor, so I don't know if there's um a confirmation of this yet, but that they're they've um some of what has been flying into Israel, they think are American made missiles from uh, sold from Ukraine. Well, uh the pro-Ukraine crowd swears up and down that that's been debunked mm -hmm. uh, and that it's Russian propaganda. Right. Um, you know, and the, the, the I, mean, I don't know, my response to that is, oh, well, you know, maybe that's maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. We do know that uh, war material from Afghanistan was being used in here. And we mm -hmm. also can figure pretty heavily that war material that was sent to the Syrian rebels is being used. So, you know, worst you can say is like two out of three ain't bad. Right, right. right. I mean, you know, like, you know, here we are, we're, I mean, we're the biggest weapons proliferator of anywhere, um, you know, because we're like, we're giving weapons to people that uh, can't be trusted to be responsible with them. At the same time, you know, the people responsible for this are the big gun grabbers domestically. Right. You know, and so between Fast and Furious, the Afghanistan, you know, hangout where you left all $85 billion worth of war material over there for the Taliban to take and sell. Uh, Benghazi. Ukraine, uh, and then, the, you know, whatever this was in Benghazi, it's like, you know, in under 10 years, you guys have done a hell of a job of uh you know of of making sure all the bad guys in the world are, are better armed than we are mm -hmm. um you know in terms of the average american i mean i don't think that the average gazan should have access to more weapons than you know the average wisconsin should uh you know call me crazy but i don't think that that's a good thing and based on uh what you see I mean, uh, you know, Gaza is awash in weapons. Right. I mean, this is a place with no economy, with no jobs. Uh, they're saying that the, that the literacy rate of the people who live in Gaza is like under 10%. Um, supposedly, the, the, the average IQ of the people in Gaza is 84.8, which is like, you can't even run a country on that. I mean, like, you know, I think you have to have an 83 IQ for the U.S. military to even consider taking you. Mm -hmm. uh, like, because under 85, it's not thought that you could do anything but menial labor without screwing up on the job all the time. So, I mean, you know, this is a whole country where the average median person is like, basically can sweep a floor and that's it because the intellectual development and the inbreeding and everything else that's going on of it, that place is so screwed up that it's impossible for it to be, you know, like, well, let's have a two state solution. It's like, how are you going to make a state out of these guys? Right. right. This place will be Zimbabwe in no time flat. The only thing that these people are good at is being suicide bombers. So how are you going to make a state out of that? How are you going to have an economy? How, who's going to, you know, supposedly they've got nine different universities in Gaza that has over two million, like 2.3 million people, supposedly. I don't think they have that many people in Gaza, but that's the official population. They had nine universities. Who mm -hmm. goes to these universities? And how do you like what are the admissions requirements? Right? right. They're not literate, but they're going to college. What are they learning? Well, um, how to kill people. I mean, what they I mean, basically. Yeah. <laughs> ah, 
I, the old so, Monty Python uh, sketch about, you know, today we're going to learn marching up and down the square, right? <laughs> that that right. must be what goes on at the universities <laughs> in Gaza because, like, you know, they dig tunnels, they shoot rockets, uh, they strap bomb vests on, and they go kill civilians. Right. And when the Israeli army shows up, they get their asses kicked, and then they cry and scream about how brutal the Israelis are. Mm-hmm. You know, but the thing is, is like the atrocities were so pronounced this time that I don't think anybody cares. You know, now it'll change over time. But if the Israelis very quickly were to clear Gaza out, mm-hmm. which is what they should do. Right. I mean, as brutal as that is, they should clear Gaza out and say, you know what? You people can't live here anymore. We're taking this place, you know, we, we had this place before, we're taking it back over, and this time we're kicking all y'all out, get on the boat. I mean, you know, and I posted Where, where are you going to send them, though? Egypt does doesn't want it. Egypt doesn't them. want them. This is, the, this is the dirty secret. No one wants yeah, Nobody the, wants them. No one wants the Philistines. Why? Because Agreed. they're stupid and a pain in the ass. And, and they're violent and they're ungovernable. All of that right. is true. All of when that is true. Israelis, I'm like, you know what? I got the strongest Navy in the region. I'm showing up with my Navy and I'm showing up with these boats. And we're going to go offload these people onto a beach in Algeria and say, beach in Algeria. You do what you want to do. I'd send them to Iran. Well, you can't. I mean, there's no oh, way to send them yeah. to Iran because right, you're right. going to have to. To get them to Iran, you have to go pass through Suez, and the Egyptians aren't right. going to let you. Do that. And then you right, also right. have to pass through uh, whatever that is at the bottom of the Red Sea, where right. Djibouti is, and I guarantee you that they're not going to let you do that either. Um, so, but I mean, if there was a way to airdrop them in, in Iran, <laughs> absolutely. But you can <laughs> drop them off in Syria. You can drop them off in Turkey. You can drop them. Well, you can't drop them off oh, in Turkey. Turkey. The, Tur- the oh. Turkish Navy would shoot them out of the water. Right. But you know, go find go find some, you know, north. Nobody wants these people. I keep going back to so like most people don't understand the roots of all of this. That way back in the Bible, that Israel was supposed to deal and harshly with the Philistines by completely wiping them out. And they disobeyed God and they have been paying the price ever since. And it's it's been a thorn in Israel's flesh and frankly, the rest of the world since that's happened. Now, here's my thing with this. This has a potential, this conflict has a, I already feel like it's sideways, all right? Like this is one of those things that is just not containable in my opinion. And so, like, if I'm China, do I go into the Taiwan Strait and decide to uh, accelerate my plans? America is divided and busy. Of course you do. And so, like, every evildoer in the world is going to press their advantage. And and this is my question, once again, for the never-Trump crowd who were so excited about the return to normal norms. I would like to congratulate you all. The world has returned to its place of chaos under Democrats. So if this is what norms are for you, uh, congratulations, you've got it. But By the way, uh, Bill Crystal was Mm -hmm. on Twitter, we're recording this on Tuesday, this morning, Demanding that five Republicans switch over and vote for Hakeem Jeffries to be speaker because Republicans can't govern and it's time to show bipartisanship. And it's like, like you're as paid off as Joe Biden. Like, you know, I mean, you don't need the CIA or something. I mean, Bill Crystal is just an idiot. Baghdad Bob is what he is. Self-serving buffoon. Anyway, I, I he's so irksome. Him and David Brooks. Ugh. Anyway, just annoying. So I, I don't know. You seem to be skeptical about this being a wider conflict. But my thing, and the reason why I think it could be is because the Arab world, the Muslim world, is in a much different place than it was 20 years ago. And they're more educated. 
They have more yeah. money. They have more infrastructure and they have more military. Muslim countries could be sending freedom fighters to pal to help the Philistines for in perpetuity and not run out. Hardy yeah, fighters. They could. I mean, I, I think some of those guys have had a snootful of trying to fight the Israelis. Um, you Maybe. Know, I mean, I mean, you know, Israel is richer and more populous and, um, you know, and, and stronger than they were 20 years ago, too. Stronger superficially, but indolent and uh, fat, not unlike the Americans. Yeah, but that gets fixed. Like mm -hmm. when you get in a war, that stuff gets fixed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the old, you know, good times make weak men and weak men make hard times and hard times make strong men right like yeah. i mean that, that process accelerates when you get in a war yeah. um so uh yeah I, the, the reason i think it may not actually escalate is because the typical pattern is uh the arabs start this trouble and the israelis quickly commence to kicking the ass of the arabs Mm -hmm. And then everybody runs in and says, no, 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 we got to make peace. Mm -hmm. And eventually the Israelis go, all right. And they they stop short of doing the things that they need to do to actually. Do you, do you think that, I don't think that's going to happen this time. No, I think, I th I'll put it this way. As of today, mm -hmm. four days in or whatever, as we said, um, you know, yeah, this is, this is. I think the, there's a lot more uh, resolute spirit on the Israeli side of the Hey, they're going to criticize us. So what? Let's go. We got. We're not going to put up with this anymore, and which is the right way to go about it. Um, but I mean, it's already started with this stupid. Oh, oh, these horrors must cease. The Mark mm -hmm. Ruffalos of the world and the rest of these clowns mm -hmm. that are running around, you know. And it's like right. you've been backing the Palestinians from day one. Okay. You know, like well, you don't want to talk about uh, how evil the, your pals are. And so now you're going to talk about all the Palestinian children that are being killed in Gaza when there were 40 Israeli babies that had their heads chopped off. OK, I mean, no, nobody should care about the Palestinians problems at this point. You're not a humanitarian by saying, oh, no, you can't have this kind of suffering on both sides. No, at some point, it's an eye for an eye. And when you start a war, you're not prepared to fight and you get beat. And when you've started this same war over and over and over and over again, and you know what? There are no innocent Palestinians at this point. They knew exactly who Hamas was and they made them the government in Gaza. And there's no, there's no opposition over there. And is Hamas brutal? Absolutely, they are. The anti-Hamas people could be just as brutal, and they're not. You know why? Because they believe in all the same things Hamas does, okay? These people were dancing in the streets when they killed all those civilians in Israel. Don't tell me that they're innocent. They're not. And so the Israelis are going to exact as much retribution as they can until the rest of the world decides that Israel is the bad guy for doing something that if if they were in the same position, they wouldn't stop until the enemy was all gone, right? But Israel can't do that. And there's a latent anti-Semitism in every single one of these people that really ought to be exercised. Um, you know, but look, if, and it's not all that far off an analogy, if, you know, we had terrorists in Mexico that kept coming to Texas and harvesting civilians left and right, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, you had something like this where a thousand people get killed in a rampage, right? Mm -hmm. And they're firing rockets across the border into Laredo and Brownsville and El Paso. Um, nobody in America would be satisfied until we cleared out the top third of Mexico. Okay, and we wouldn't give a damn what the body count is. So why in the hell would anybody have a problem if Israel does what they've got to do?
Well, the thing is, is that why the answer is, but it's like, there's no rationality. So here's my question, because we moved an aircraft carrier into the Gulf over there again. Yeah. Well, my question for you is that is what should, should America be funding Israel? What so in this because there's been a lot of debate about money going to Ukraine right. that Americans are tired of this baloney. Right. What is the proper American response to this sort of thing? Obviously, condemnation and support, you know, moral support for Israel. What is do do we owe them money? that we don't have, by the way, or you know, they, what do we do? Well, have they asked us for anything? I mean, How, that's the thing. I, I think it's up to Israel to ask us, you know, like, if, I mean, I'm assuming that the Israelis have a pretty good stockpile of weapons and ammo and, and whatever else, that they could prosecute this war for as long as they're going to need to uh, without running out, right? Like, I mean, I think their their stores are pretty stock so you know they i mean you know i don't think they need american boots on the ground although i don't think it's a terrible idea because apparently there are americans being held hostage in gaza i don't think it's a terrible idea to roll delta force or whoever in there and go get them um and if you have to waste a bunch of palestinians to get american hostages back then i'm good with that uh i don't think that's a bad call but I don't want to invade the place because there's nothing there for us. Um, I don't. I don't think invading the place and turning it over to the Israelis is. It, let the Israelis do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like. I don't. Other than just you know, sort of in a support role, right, and to keep um, weapons from being shipped into Gaza mm-hmm. over the Mediterranean from wherever. Yeah. Like I think we can do that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't we don't need to enforce a no fly zone there because the Israelis are more than capable of doing that themselves. Like, I don't really know that we have to do anything to help them. Um, And I, you know, our role in this is probably, and I, you know, I hate to say it and I hope that this is a false, a false alarm that I'm giving off is we've let so many people into this country that we have absolutely no vetting for from the kinds of countries where, you know, this conflict could uh, motivate them. Like how many terror cells is this and how likely is it that some subway gets bombed in New York or Washington or wherever, or, you know, a school gets shot up by a jihadist or, a police station gets bombed or whatever it might be. Like, how close are we to have that happen the minute we lift a finger to help the Israelis at all? I hope, you know, my hope is because it seems like post 9-11 that finally the relations between like the, you know, Muslim um, minorities here in America and just the general population of Americans has it's good is better and yeah. and and the thing is is that this is the thing that's so frustrating is that there's been feels like so much progress all the way around when it comes to peace and then this just literally blows everything up and causes you know and and it makes me so angry because the united states funding iran who's funding hamas and then we are you know, then this sort of thing happens and it's just so all preventable, you know, it's, it's just preventable. And here, here we are again, because of the, and I don't believe it's a starry idealism. I I swear it seems to be purposeful and to be destructive. I don't know. Anyway, so, I mean, it's it's, it's absolutely crooked. Well, okay. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen here. We've got some other topics that we need to talk about today, Scott. And I don't know where you want to go from this, but I do think that the, the, 
And probably by the time you all hear this podcast, all the events on the ground will have completely changed in Israel and things will be, you know, it's, it'll, it'll be a different day, you know, by who knows what's happening by Thursday, we could be in a freaking world war at this rate. And, and, and you know, any of these uh, countries actually um, drop some serious bombs. It's just, this is just terrible. And all of it, I lay at Biden's feet. It, it's just the weakness that America is projecting. No one takes him seriously. Yesterday, all of this is happening, and he calls the lid at noon. Oh, but he was having private meetings with the Israelis. Oh, right. That could, yeah, that couldn't be on the record. Or that one, I got some, some more I can sell you. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just baloney. Like, and everybody's tired of it. And I'm just wondering, you know, are the American people going, you know what? I knew that these four years with Biden were going to be terrible, Scott. We all knew that, right? Like, it's going to be terrible. And America, in a way, deserves the terribleness because of their fecklessness and stupidity um, in voting for a guy like that. But I'm telling you, the the ramifications and the lives lost and the, just the terrible situation that he has created in such a short time, it's really, truly breathtaking what de- they're capable of in, yeah. in, in such a short time. Well, I mean, you know, here you've got all of these people, the, 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 you know, the members of the squad, right, uh-huh. all of whom are associated with the Democratic Socialists of America. Mm-hmm. Who are staging pro-Palestinian rallies in all of the cities across the country, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so let's take Rashida Tlaib for example. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're you know we're again we're doing this on Tuesday, and today's kind of the first day that we're looking at picking a speaker of the house. I think right. job one after that's done, okay, is to vote Rashida Tlaib off the island. Expel that bitch from Congress because she is flat out pro Hamas. And if you don't do something, that's like low hanging fruit. You've got to bounce her right the hell out of Congress and say, okay, we're done. You can't be with the savages and be up here because we got a majority to get rid of you and we're going to do it. And here's the thing from a pure partisan standpoint, the Republicans should all be able to get behind the idea of getting rid of Rashida Tlaib. But force the Democrats to vote to support her. Yeah. I well, want to see they will. Swing, state Democrat, or swing district Democrats, uh, you know, the ones that we didn't take out in 2022, right? Or, mm-hmm. or you know, managed to lose races to. Put them on the record. What are you going to do? Are you going to vote? You're going to vote to keep Rashida Tlaib? Now we've got an issue we can burn you on next year. Or you're going to vote her off the island, which is a good vote, but your own party's going to freaking abandon you as a result. Put them to the question. Make them freaking have that tough vote. And, you know, and like to me, I would, this needs to be, whether it's Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan or whoever ends up getting it, you need to have McCarthy. What's yeah. that? McCarthy. He's putting his hat back in the ring. Is he? That I had yeah. heard. Yeah, yesterday. The thing is, is well, okay, so that's happening. I, I'm curious because you said in uh, our pre pre podcast discussion that there's some interesting polling coming out of Louisiana because you got yeah. election coming. I, I'm curious about that because uh, oh. I think it might relate to what's happening nationally. So, well, I mean, okay, so we have uh, Louisiana's kind of the off-year election, you know, like the year after the midterm uh, is is when we do it. It's Louisiana, Kentucky, and Mississippi uh, all have their kind of statewide election cycle this year. Mm-hmm. And so Saturday is the primary and early voting uh, for the governor's race, the statewide uh, elected officials and all the legislative seats. Um uh, early voting in it on Saturday. Hmm. So the makeup of the state is like 38 point, I think it's 38.4% Democrat, 33.8% Republican, and the rest are independents. Hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, and this is sort of a leftover from when Louisiana was, you know, a, um, a, a one party Democrat state. But the Republicans have been gaining like kind of ever faster on the Democrats. And mm -hmm. then probably four years from now, there'll be more Republicans than Democrats in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, there's a whole bunch of kind of white Democrats in the state that because it's a jungle primary state, never really needed to change parties, but they're right. reliable Republican voters. So there's that. But early voting, which has always been a Democrat, you know, thing, right? That's the, the, the when the when the, the white vans roll and the get out the vote and the souls to the polls and the whole bit um, gets going. Uh, Republicans were 45 percent of the early voting. Democrats were 40. So this is like this massive swing. Wow. Right. It doesn't even count the Democrats that vote Republican. This is registered Republicans. 33.8% mm. of the vote was 45% of, or 33.8% of the registered vote was 45% of the actual vote in early voting. Saturday's election day voting is expected and, and you know, traditionally has been like super Republican. Right. So, you know, like this is, I mean, you're looking at a red wave that is like off the charts. Registered voters are 32 point something percent black, but only 25, I think it's 25.7 percent mm -hmm. um, of the electorate that early voted was black. Mm -hmm. And again, this is when the get out the vote stuff happens, happens. is early yeah. voting. So like early voting was a disastrous failure for Democrats in Louisiana. Um, and so, you know, we had Liz Merle on the, on the show a few mm -hmm. weeks back. Um, there's a lot of talk that she may actually end up taking the attorney general uh, race in the primary. And not have, yeah. And not have to deal with the runoff. I don't oh, know that that's going to happen. If I had to bet, I'd probably say it won't, but she's got a commanding lead. Uh, and Jeff Landry is his people a week or so ago were telling me, yeah, I think we're probably going to top out around 45, 46 percent. They're saying yeah. something a little different now after the early voting numbers hmm. that uh, we may be able to get to 50, depending on how things, you know, how things go. Um, and day. so like you're going to start to see and, and you know, legislative races look really good. Um so, you know, I, like you're going to start to see, like, I think a very good, if nothing else, narrative counter uh, mm -hmm. to this. You know, you've heard you've seen this over and over again. The Democrats, oh, we're winning all these special elections in all of these places. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you're winning special elections for like local seats and state legislative special election races where you're outspending the Republican 10 to 1. Right. Um, and it's like, and you're trying to build a narrative that, no, there's a big groundswell for Democrats and Biden based on that. It's like, not really. Well, Louisiana and Mississippi are going to be absolute bombardments of uh, Democrats. Kentucky is, you know, probably not a, it won't be a bad cycle in Kentucky, except Daniel Cameron is really not that competitive with Andy Bashir in the governor's race, which is too bad. Uh, I like Cameron, but, you know, I think Bashir is just really hard to beat because he's kind of royalty over there. And I don't know why he's not a good governor, but he's he's kind of a little like John Bell Edwards in Louisiana. He's kind of an inoffensive Democrat. And in a family institution. Yeah. And so, you know, the last poll I saw was like 49 to 33. And I don't think Cameron mm -hmm. will do that badly, but... Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just I don't think it's overly competitive. But as I understand it, legislative races in Kentucky are going to go really well. There's a Republican majority and it's going to stay. Um, and some of the down ballot statewide races, you know, like look great. So, um, you know, you're going to have three states. They're all red states, but Republicans are going to perform better than mm -hmm. um, than normal, with the exception of the Bashir Cameron race. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think this narrative of, oh, there's this groundswell of Democrat support, that, that's all BS, and it's going to be exposed as such. Um, you know, and here in Louisiana, we actually, 
I've not been optimistic about politics in this state, maybe my whole life. <laughs> Brief moments, like <laughs> leading, oh, it's gone. Like, that's about it. I'm actually optimistic that this place is going to get turned around because the elements are all there. You've got a, a conservative who's going to win the governor's race who um, is very much a Ron DeSantis uh, type in terms of, yeah, I'll go do the things, right? Right. Um, and in the down ballot statewide, uh, folks, whether it's the attorney general, the insurance commissioner, the secretary of state, that's a little bit of a dicey race. Um, but uh, I think that works out well. Um, the state treasurer, John Fleming, is going to be the state treasurer, who is, uh, you know, an original Freedom Caucus member in the mm -hmm. House. It was Trump's def deputy White House chief of staff, mm -hmm. uh, you know, who's going to be the treasurer. So like you've got you've got some pretty resolute conservatives that are going to be in a position of power in this state with a roadmap, mm -hmm. right? Texas right. and Florida and Tennessee, mm -hmm. just do what those guys have done right, right. Uh, first and you will probably catch up to them. So, you know, and if the word gets out, then you get an influx of people moving in from California and Illinois and New York and other places that, you know, maybe bring some money with them and know what it looks like in a blue state. And they're like the last Republicans out. You know, and so well, I'm not going to let them destroy Louisiana like they destroyed my place in Illinois. And then so you get even more conservatives. And then now you're Texas with bayous and rain. Right. Well, you know, the interesting thing that's happening here in Texas is super. And I'm curious about uh, the conservative people who listen from all over the country is these small races. I'm talking about school boards and uh school board propositions right the conservatives are going ham locally here in in texas and like all of these um nasty sexual books that the left is trying to do all of this stuff has got everybody so riled that the teachers unions and the library unions and all of that the voters are coming for revenge and yep. so th this is interesting to me on like a hyper local level. And I'm wondering if that is true, you know, other places as well, where the parents are so motivated. And yeah, we have all of that here. I mean, yeah. So the, the, I mean, that's the awesome. gay porn in the libraries has, has been an issue in Louisiana. Um, it's not a, a big issue that's driving everything here is crime. Because, mm -hmm. you know, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Shreveport are freaking shooting galleries right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's like an easy issue for Landry to lap on. Jeff Landry, who's the, the, the guy's going to win the governor's race. You know, he's just jumped on that and said, well, let's just make this thing about crime since y'all are all interested in it. And since I'm the attorney general, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, it's my, it's my kind of, you know, wheelhouse. So I'll just talk about crime. Um, but like all of these other kind of these social issues, they're all big. Um, and, uh, you know, Houston too, by the way, we might get a, a, it might be a Democrat, but it'll be a moderate Democrat. Houston's moving back towards the right. This should scare. The the, it's the, the old guy is, uh, what's his name? The, is, is that, is that who's going to win? Uh, I forget his name. I'm I'm not in Houston, so but what, what's it? Whitlow or Whitlock or something like that? I can't remember what the guy's name is. It's not going to be uh, Sheila, Sheila Jackson. Jackson no, it's not going to be Sheila Jackson Lee. Um, but the conservative who's running or the Republican is uh, Garcia or something. But my my whole point about this talking about this is every single ad that you see is about crime, yeah. and. Because under the Democrats, uh, Lena Hidalgo and her band of Mary uh, Soros-funded psychopaths have turned what was a growing, low-crime city into a complete flipping mess yeah. because of their soft-on-crime baloney. And so, like, this has become a huge issue. And so, like, I'm... I, so many things, you know how like 
something good happens and that it's like compound interest, but something bad happens and then another bad thing happens and another bad thing happens. When you have like national inflation and everybody is de dealing with that, and then you have on top of that it, the um, crime problem locally, and and life just is becoming kind of miserable for everybody. That tends to change attitudes more quickly than almost anything else because it's the daily chronic irritant, and so. In absence of the Democrats having their machine steal the elections, which is still a huge issue and is still going to happen. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, the, the thing is, is that if you're so unpopular, it's really hard to fire that machine up. Right. Well, and so that's the the um, challenge, I think, that's going to be faced out because everybody's starting to ask the question, you know, wait a minute. Uh, how are we more better? How are we better off now than we were? And people are like remembering what it used to be like or thinking about what it used to be like. And it's like, it, it wasn't that long ago that things were kind of good. Right. And so I don't know what's going to happen, but I suspect that the shift that you're seeing in Louisiana, even though it's a red state, is a shift that's going to be everywhere. And it must be because the Democrats are acting like psychos. Um, their internal polling must be bad. Trump, I think, is probably doing as good or better as they think. Now, there's been some polls coming out recently basically saying that independents don't like Biden, but they hate Trump. Right. And um, yeah, that's like a key piece of like DeSantis's messaging. You know, right. Hey, right. you can't win the independents. You know, but like what I keep saying is if Trump would just just be a generic Republican, just be vanilla, just, you know, <laughs> three, for three months, don't say much, you know, just I mean, actually, what you could do and what I what I think would be an unbelievably great idea is mm -hmm. come up with like a message of the day. And it's like all you talk about and make each one of them like some executive order that Biden did that has screwed up some segment of the economy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's the, you know, cutting off oil leases or, you know, going after equity partnerships in oil and gas or the, you know, the stuff he's done to push EVs in the marketplace or whatever it is. And just pick that and talk about that and say, this is easy to fix. You make me president, I'll stroke of a, a stroke of a pen, I will make this go away and you can buy any water here you want, right? If he would just restrict himself to talking about that, like every day between now and July, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is, yeah, whatever, it's kind of boring, but it's like, you're just racking up, hey, here's Biden's screw up number 456 that I can right. fix right away. Right. It's like, look, these are all the things that I can do that will make your life better. Okay. Mm -hmm. You don't have to like me. You don't have to want to drink a beer with me. You don't have to want to have sex with me. None of that matters. <laughs> look, make okay. me president. I'll do this for you. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's not hard. I don't need Congress. This stuff was all crap that Joe Biden did or the people who handled Joe Biden did. And I'll fix it. Right. And it's like, you know, do you really care uh, that, the you know, do, uh, to give the federal government power to tell you what water heater you can buy? Like, I know you don't. So why would you let the guy who decides that that's something he's going to do to you? Why would you give him the power for that? I don't want that power. I got plenty enough things that I can do. Let me go do those. You'll like them and I'll get the government out of your hair. That's it. That's all you got to do. And everybody, like, he doesn't have to explain much of anything else. Everybody knows who Donald Trump is. He can talk about these stupid indictments and everything and say, look, you know that this is all political, just like I do. We don't even have to talk about it. I'm going to win, blah, blah, blah. Don't worry about that. Here's what I can do for you. Mm -hmm. And this is antithetical to who Trump is because Trump has, you know, I mean, it's a, there's an ego thing going on there, okay? <laughs> Which is not yeah. all bad. But I mean, so it's hard for Trump to make this about uh, the customer. Right. 
Um, but that actually is his saving grace because he can serve the customer better than team Biden can. Mm -hmm. um, and if and if he would focus on that and just say, look, the American people deservedly or not, based on what happened in 2020, the American people are suffering. It's unconscionable that the American people are suffering like this. And I'm going to put a stop to it. Give me the power to put a stop to the suffering. Did you see that this is a little bit tangential, but did you see that we are almost out of the strategic petroleum reserve? And we're having trouble with our munitions and our, you know, bomb production, and everything else because of Ukraine. Well, I mean, you know, we went from the supply chain being broken to the in inputs into the supply chain being broken. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have the same problem with cars, mm -hmm. right? What cars? Well, now, now there's cars. There's now there's cars. Is that the thing is, is that you know there's. I don't know if you've noticed, but auto lots are filling up and deals are starting to be swung again. Right. So, I mean, that's, but that's a dead cat bounce. You know, right. that's the pinup inventory being released, but production of cars is down. Right. Um, you know, well, that's probably good because nobody can afford them right now. And then, of course, interest rates are really kind of starting to affect the home buyer market, um, yeah. most places. And so, like, that's dead and then i don't know what the results have been with uh student loans being starting to be paid back this month um if that it'll take a, it'll take a while to shake out the data on that but mm -hmm. i guarantee you it's not good yeah you know i mean this is i mean you're going to end up seeing credit card debt bounce up through the sky you know, it's already sky high as it is, but mm -hmm. you'll see that get worse. You'll start to see defaults based on that. Um, I mean, you know, all of these things. And I mean, you would you I can't remember who's uh, household survey or whatever. And, you know, they said, well, I think it was what, 89,000 jobs were produced in the month of uh, August, I guess. And then they came in with a quick revision and said, no, it was 355,000 jobs. And right. it's like, oh, okay. Right. Because you wouldn't be fudging those numbers at all. Right. Nobody, nobody believes the jobs numbers anymore because they always get revised eventually. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so that's all baloney. It's such a great thing. Okay. Yeah, so let's I mean, talk about so, to, today. Today is well, is today Columbus Day? Was it yesterday? Yesterday was Columbus Day. Columbus Day. And you wrote a piece about it. We had a, a, I don't know if you saw the other piece about Columbus Day at the site, but it was really, really good about basically. The one that Paul wrote? Well, nope, there was another one too. So we had three different people talk about it, including yeah, you. Mine was, mine was uh, all about, look, you either celebrate Columbus Day or you hate civilization plain and simple yeah because this indigenous people's day crap let me tell you something <laughs> no that's not a thing now if you wanted to celebrate <laughs> that's indigenous not a thing. People's day, if you wanted to do that you could do it on a different day okay <laughs> you could take the winter solstice or you know whatever the autumn equinox or something and you mm -hmm. could celebrate indigenous people's mm -hmm. day uh they chose to do this on Columbus Day because it's an explicit rejection of Western civilization right. from a bunch of people who could not survive without Western civilization. Right. Which makes them so loathsome that it's, I mean, it's hard to afford these idiots any respect at all. And I mean, like I said this in the piece, you know, North America, the Americas uh -huh. were an exceptionally lightly populated couple of continents okay right. when the europeans got here there was practically nobody here and the reason it's practically nobody here was that they were populated by a bunch of stone age tribesmen who were busy killing each other off in the most barbaric ways possible who right. had not had not perfected the wheel who uh you know had very very rudimentary forms of agriculture if any at all generally were hunter gatherers mm -hmm. um 
you know, and this idea that, you know, well, you know, the Europeans came and they booted these people off their land. That was land that they took from some other tribe, mm-hmm. right? The Sioux had been, you know, they, when we encountered the Sioux, they had been driven out of uh, what's, you know, like the Midwest into the Great Plains by somebody else who mm-hmm. we drove out, right? The Cherokee had booted a bunch of other people. I mean, like, these tribes were always at war. They were always killing each other. They were always enslaving each other. In fact, the most advanced populous society in uh, pre-Columbian uh, Americas was the Aztecs. And you can't get any more brutal, backward, and evil than the freaking Aztecs. And they were a number one. It wasn't the Iroquois. It wasn't the, the Cherokee. It wasn't, you know, the the the, the Tunica Biloxi Indians. Okay, it was the Aztecs, right? Who like to stick a knife into your chest, chop out your heart, and then throw you down the steps of a pyramid while everybody cheered and you held the heart up to the sun. That was like the height of Aztec culture. Mm-hmm. Okay. (laughs) And I mean, they collapsed in no time flat when the Spaniards got there. And you know why? Because most Aztecs were like, we can't go on like this. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that the leadership who enjoyed doing the killing, there were a lot of people who it didn't work for them to be on the receiving end of having their, their heart cut out with a knife. Well, I mean, that's why civilizations don't survive contact with the outside world is that the majority of the people in that civilization are like, this sucks. Okay. And I mean, I I go all the way back to like my freshman year in college. I was at SMU and I had this humanities class and it was like this survey of cultures around the world. And it was one of these stupid politically correct things don't say your culture is better. It's different. It's not better. Right, right. Inuit Eskimos are an endangered culture because the kids want to get the hell away from where the Inuit Eskimos live. Right. They don't want to live in an igloo when they could have a a split level. And a bed. (laughs) Go figure. They're like, yeah, seal skins kind of suck as blankets, and I really would rather go live in Seattle. Um, you know, and it's like, well, their culture is like, no, their culture is dying because it's no good, right? <laughs> Same thing of you know the Bushmen of the Kalahari and the you know these people in New Guinea or whatever. The best and brightest pick up and leave because the place sucks. And this is not like small town America sucks. This is no subsistence agriculture right Right. like you know you eat basically the you know whatever fish you can catch in a net standing on the shore right everybody's half naked Mm -hmm. you know a hurricane or a cyclone comes and everything you own is gone because you don't you can't nail anything down right okay Nobody wants to live that way. Their culture sucks. It hasn't advanced in 2000 years. And the people are like, yeah, I'm done. Right. Right. Well, that's what, that's what we found our people, the Europeans or whatever, the precursors to, you know, what, what is America? That's what they found when they got here. Okay. And most of these native American tribes that like went away, right. It wasn't that they were slaughtered. It's that the people picked up and left. They didn't want to be part of the tribe because they saw something better. Everybody, especially in the South, everybody's got Indian blood. Right. Everybody right. does. Everybody's part Cherokee. Everybody's part, you know, whatever. You know why? Because the Indians decided to come live. They'd rather be working class people in, you know, in a town someplace. Than be, you know, a half naked savage, savage in the in the forest. They didn't want to do it. They saw there was a better way to live, and they melted away because it was no good. Now, were a lot of them treated very badly? Sure. Did a bunch of them die of smallpox? Yeah. But this idea that there was some genocide that wiped these people out? No. There were a bunch of wars that the Indian tribes lost, particularly the War of eighteen twelve, where a whole bunch of them 
threw in with the British and got their ass good and kicked. Right? right. Everybody says what a bad guy Andrew Jackson was. All of those Indians he slaughtered were enemies of America. They declared <laughs> war. They fought battles against his army and they got their asses kicked. And that was the end of that. Okay. The guy's a hero and everybody talks about him like he's such a terrible guy. And oh, you got to be sympathetic. The trail of tears. Americans. Bullshit. Right. Well, okay, so my favorite Indian story, of course, I grew up in Michigan, of course, you know, you had all, the whole state is named for, I mean, Detroit, for example, I mean, this named for Indians, but it, my favorite is, is looking through history, is that the Hopi Indians of Arizona, they're the ones who have the, you know, the, in the side of the mountain and whatever, they're so wonderful and peace-loving, whatever. Well, the rival tribe called them by a different name, called called them basically in their language, baby killers. <laughs> well, as it turns out, and this is the thing that these peaceful people engaged in child sacrifice, right? And sure. we can't talk about that because that would, you know, kind of, um, take away the legacy of these these Indians who are so peace loving or whatever. So, you know, the, this whole idea of um, you know tribes being peace loving and decent and and the thing is is that some were more and some were less. I mean, that's true. I mean, right. some but every some... single one of them practiced slavery. Oh yeah, every one of those tribes practiced slavery. Well, of why? course. Because all humans practice slavery pre-industrial revolution. Right. Right? And it's not that they were particularly awful people. It's just, you know, when you don't have machines to do the work, then you have to dragoon people to do the work that people don't want to do or else well, the work doesn't get done. You also, you you fight a, tri a different tribe. You win. You take right. the, you, you know, you have basically chattel and, right. and then you have slaves. Um, that's it. So, you know, uh, it, it's, so I'm pro Columbus. Everybody can suck it. All the, exactly. all, all of the people saying that, uh, Columbus is a bad guy, whatever. I like, I do like the fact that because Columbus is Italian and because, um, you know, the Italians have a strong, you know, group identity oh, I, in, in I, new york I, I love i love when knights of columbus and the rest of the italian american groups uh start in on columbus day and it's right. like why are you so anti-italian right like, good for you go get them <laughs> go get them. right because I, I mean nothing's nothing to me is better than you know the knights of columbus going on the on the war path against the antifa scumbags and basically, you know, playing playing the freaking race card and the victim card, and I'm like, go for it, right? <laughs> I mean, this is their juice. Let them stew in it. <laughs> yeah. Freaking great, you know. And they get. I think they're getting better at it, which to me is absolutely awesome. <laughs> okay, well, this is a shorter podcast. We're not going to solve the world's problems today. I, uh, the the um. The good news out of Louisiana hopefully um, bodes well for the future. I think it might. And Israel, probably the stuff we talked about today is stale by the time you people hear it. But, um, you know, I do think that it, it could go very different ways depending. It's just a dangerous situation. And it all comes down to Biden creating an unsafe world for just about everybody. Um, and uh, so I have personal news. You have your book. My daughter's getting married this weekend. And so I've got family coming into town. I'm very excited about that. And so there are good things happening both personally and, and for you professionally. So that's good. So where can everybody find your book? And go buy to, your book. Go, as of right now, today, go to calamopress.com. How do you spell um, that? Calamo? E-A-L-A-M-O press.com. Okay. And you can pre-order it. Um, the book itself should go live at Amazon in a week or so. 
um and uh i'll you know we'll make sure to keep you all updated on that but can uh, they pre-order at amazon yeah, yeah you can, okay you what's can the title of the book in order that calmo press's website so um it's available now for that okay name that what's the name of it name it name it name it name of the book racism revenge and ruin it's all obama racism revenge and ruin and it's yes. Calamo with a C as in cat. C-A-L-A-M-O press dot com. Okay. Sorry for being dull, but I was just like, is it Alamo Press? No, it's Calamo Press. Alamo okay. Press. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So everybody go out and buy that book. I'd also like to give a plug for uh, founder of the American Spectator, Armit Terrell Jr. His book is on um stands now he's been doing a lot of media and it's how do we get out of here it's about his memoirs but if you really want a great and funny insight into the conservative movement of the last 50 years get that book because it um he he kind of was everywhere where stuff was happening so like that's a really good book too you can find that on amazon and follow the spectator org like us here, like us everywhere, share and help us get more listens for this spectacle podcast. We're coming up now almost on a year of doing this, I think. I don't know how many um, podcasts we've done. I don't know what number we're up to, but um, we welcome your feedback and what you're thinking about. And I want to thank the people who have written me. I, I um, had got a letter from a woman who uh, is a longtime reader who was um, talking about the, you know, Biden's economy and how it's affecting her. And so we know that the, the things that we're talking are, about are not theoretical. Everybody is dealing with the world that Biden has created. So please keep it coming. Please email me, Melissa or Mackenzie M at spectator.org. And where can people email you, Scott? Just email me at Scott McKay at Reviver, R-V-I-V-R dot com. Okay. All right. With that, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody.